0: Good morning, everyone. Let's pray together. Father God, in the precious name of your Son, Jesus, we give you thanks for this day. And we give you thanks for the opportunity of opening your word. And my Father, as, as we open your word, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open us, that you would open us to it, My Father, instruct us, mold us, give us birth by your word. Let your word, Father, in us bring us to life. May you be glorified, my Father, in all things. May you, Jesus Christ, be Lord over all of us. May you, Holy Spirit, inspire what we say and what we hear this morning. Be glorified, eternal God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, good morning, everyone. It's good to be uh, with all of you. It's, it's a pleasure to be together again. Hope you didn't miss me too much. I like to say I didn't miss you, but I did miss you. Uh, I did have a wonderful vacation, and... and uh, and I thank you for the opportunity. Please, those of you that have your Bibles with you, would you open them to the Gospel of Mark? The Gospel of Mark, I'm going to be teaching this morning from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it was the Gospel that was read this morning, a few moments ago, by, uh, by Deacon Diane, uh, if, if you didn't bring your Bible, there are Bibles in the, fru- in the pews in front of you. Otherwise, uh, you may just follow uh, the insert that is in your, in your bulletin, the flyer that is in your bulletin. Uh, I think all that I'm going to say is there. Plus, I'm going to be putting up in the screen uh, some of the passages that I'm going to be making reference to. So it's not for lack of having the word all around us. So let's pay attention to, to what, the, what the Lord has to say. I'm going to be speaking from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, beginning with the 7th verse. But uh, I, I, first of, I first of all have a couple of questions that I would like to ask you. And I want you to think about it. I want you to respond um, honestly, uh, not just because you're supposed to. Um, but also just, just respond by a raise uh, raising your hands, if you would just raise your hand if, if this is true in your life. Uh, but how many of you, how many of you this morning would consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ? How many of you would consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ? Okay, thank you. Um, Let me just make sure that we understand what a disciple is, okay? A disciple is more than a spectator, okay? A disciple is more than a spectator, and it is more than a hearer only. We got that? A disciple of Jesus is more than a groupie is more than a spectator, is more than someone who comes around Jesus to be entertained through his parables or his stories or just to watch the miraculous. A disciple of Jesus is more than a hearer only. A disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus. It's a follower of Jesus who intends on being formed By Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is a man or a woman who approaches Jesus with the desire and intention of being formed by Jesus. It is a person who wants to be taught by Jesus, it's a person that is hungry to hear. The words that the Son of God wants to say as he reveals his Father, as he reveals the kingdom of God, both in heaven and as that kingdom of God is here on earth. It is someone who wants to be formed by Jesus, being molded by Jesus into something that we are not naturally, but that Jesus can create in us. One who desires to be taught by Jesus and ultimately a disciple is someone who eventually wants to become like Jesus. Wants to become like Jesus. As a book that we are reading here in church or our our reading group just finished, uh, a disciple of Jesus is someone who wants to become a little Jesus. Okay, wants to become Jesus to all whom he meets or she meets. That is a disciple. Okay, again, it's not somebody who's spectator. Okay, so all of you who raise your hand, and even those who did not, I just wanted to be clear that when you take that step of becoming a follower of Jesus, that is what is meant by a disciple, and not just claiming the word without the deed, without the understanding and the surrender that you want to follow Jesus so close that every word from his mouth falls into your heart. Everything that he does does not escape your gaze and everything he commands, it is your commandment. So here comes the second question that I want to ask those of you who who feel that you're disciples of Jesus. The second question is, how many of you this morning would consider that when Jesus speaks to his 12 disciples, he's also speaking to you as well? For today, for today. So every time we see in Scripture that Jesus is speaking to his 12 disciples or to those who follow him, He is also speaking to us today and for today. We who claim to be His disciples are being spoken to by our Lord every time we see Him speaking to the 12 disciples. Amen? Amen. Okay. So let's get into the passage because Jesus is going to be speaking to His disciples then and now. First of all, let's put the passage in context. Jesus is in the region of Galilee. It's to the north of Judea. Uh, It's just north of Samaria. Uh, But that's the region of Galilee, and Jesus spent most of his time in this region. In fact, most of his teachings, most of his miracles, most of everything Jesus did, he did in this region. In Capernaum, which is just a few verses before what we're dealing with today. In Capernaum, there was a synagogue, and there was a man named Jairus. And Jairus had a daughter that became extremely ill. And Jairus comes to Jesus and asks Jesus if he would heal his little girl, because he's tried everything and nothing works, so he wants Jesus, Messiah, he wants Jesus, the healer, to heal his daughter, and Jesus does. From uh, Capernaum, which is the next map, from Capernaum, Jesus moves over to Nazareth. Nazareth is the place where Jesus grew up. Nazareth is the place where Joseph and Mary uh, came from to Bethlehem, and there he was born, then they went to Egypt, and eventually they come uh, to Nazareth. So you might say Nazareth is his hometown. It's his hometown. The likelihood is that there's a lot of people in Nazareth that may still remember little Jesus, Jesus growing up, the boy Jesus the kind of things that Jesus did until he left. There's probably a lot of people there who know the family very, very well. In fact, they would say, is this not Joseph's son? I mean, these are people that know Jesus. Serge uh, preached last week uh, while I was on vacation, and he preached precisely on the rejection that Jesus received in his hometown. Because sometimes too much familiarity without respect engenders rejection. Too much familiarity sometimes doesn't work to acknowledging that he is God, the Son of God incarnate. They remember him as the little guy who grew among them, and so they would not receive him in his own hometown, his own childhood friends, his own Friends that knew the family may not receive them. And, and I, uh, I want to encourage you, if you want to know more about the rejection of Jesus in what I call his hood, okay, in his neighborhood, in his town, the rejection of Jesus, uh, you want to listen to Serge's uh, sermon uh, last week. But as that passage ends in chapter 6, verse 6, it says to us that then Jesus went about the villages in a circuit, or kind of a circular uh, form, teaching. So Jesus, after Capernaum, after Nazareth, he might have gone over to Sephores, over to Cana, over to Yotapata. He may have gone all over the place. There's a lot of little towns, and Jesus has kept on teaching. This brings me to, to two things that I that I find fascinating in this passage, two things that I want to share with you, two things that I just, just, I just love. One thing is that what I will call team multiplication. Team multiplication. Originally, as Jesus comes to Nazareth, there is one team, Jesus plus the 12, right? Right? Jesus plus the twelve. They're there in Nazareth when he healed the little daughter of, Caper- of, uh, of Jairus in, in Capernaum. Is Jesus plus the twelve. When Jesus gets rejected in Nazareth, I want you to learn this. When he gets rejected, he doesn't go in a corner to cry. He doesn't go to his father and say, hey, the ministry you gave me is too hard. Look, my own people reject me. This is too much. I don't want to do this anymore. The ministry is too hard. People don't like me. Jesus doesn't go in a corner to cry because he's rejected. What Jesus does is he multiplies his team You see that? Rejection leads to him saying, so you reject me here, there's a lot of other towns... I'm now going to multiply the team that originally was me plus the 12, now it's going to be me plus two by two, and I'm going to send them two by two all over the place. And now instead of one team of 13, now it becomes a team of seven, six two by twos and Jesus who continues teaching. Instead of one individual trying to reach everybody, now he has seven teams going out into every town. Rejection brings him to multiplication, not to crying, poor me. Poor me. I don't want to do this anymore, Father. This is too hard. He actually sees this, so you reject me now. I'm going to multiply the number of teams. And then he empowers that team and says, go and preach the gospel and go and cast out demons and go and heal the sick. And everywhere you go, go in the power of the Spirit. You guys go north. You guys go east. You guys go south. We're not going to have one team. We're going to have seven teams. And that blessed me when I recognized that. Jesus doesn't give up because he's rejected. And I want to say to you, whenever you're rejected, you don't give up. And you don't go a corner to cry, Father, what you've asked me to do is too hard. You just figured out, perhaps alone I can't do it. Let me bind myself to another fellow believer and maybe we'll do it two by two. Or maybe I'll train two or three other people and I'll send additional people. But I'm not going to cry foul. I'm not going to cry, I can't do it. I'm not going to cry, this is too hard. What Jesus does is he says, rejection here will cost me multiplication there. And that's one thing that blessed me as I, as I read that Jesus uh, sent them out and divided his team of 13 into two-by-twos and sent them in different directions to different towns as he continued to teach himself and to do miracles and to do different things. That was a blessing. The other thing that blessed me that I want to point out to you, which which I love as well, is that this is not the first time that Jesus commissions his disciples. The first time that Jesus commissions his disciples is three chapters earlier. In chapter 3, verse 13 through 19. And I want you to see this. It says that he went up on the mountain... And called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. The mission is spelled out. The disciples knew exactly why they're being called. It wasn't going to surprise them. It wasn't going to be a plan B. They were being called, first of all, to come to Jesus, to spend time with Jesus so he can teach them, so he can mold them, so he can create in them the disciples that he needed to be. And he gave them the power to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick and to cast out demons. The thing I found of interest, though, and right after that, he mentions all the 12. Simon, uh, it actually says, Simon, to whom he named Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, etc. And so all 12 disciples that he just called are mentioned. And then instead of them going out, it ends with these words, and they went into a house. They went into a house. So he called them, he empowered them, he gave them the mission, he gave them the command, and then they go into a house. Instead of going out, they go into a house. Because they needed to go into a house so that they can continue to be trained and to be molded by Jesus and to spend time with Jesus and to experience with Jesus what happened at Capernaum and what happened at Nazareth and what happened at so many different places. The passage we're reading this morning, they don't go back into the house, they go into the mission field. This is the second commissioning of the twelve. What we read today is no longer they went into a house, but rather he sent them out, two by two, into the villages, which was the mission field. They had been discipled, and now they are being sent. No longer stay here safe, but now it was the time to go. The difference between a disciple and an apostle. A disciple is someone who sits at the feet of Jesus to learn, be molded by him, be instructed by him. And an apostle is one who is sent out. So at this moment, they no longer go into the house. They go in the mission field. And he gave them... The empowerment, and he called the twelve to himself, and began to send them out two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. Now, those of you who have your Bibles with you, or those who have the the insert, um, I just want to give you a breakdown of this passage. breakdown of this passage so that uh, at the very least uh, you you have, I've broken the passage actually in four four parts or four divisions. First, what I call the commission. Uh, The commission is in verse seven and it's up in the screen. He called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. That's the commission. The second part of the passage is what I call the direction for the mission. The directions for the mission. And this is what he says He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Also he said to them, in whatever place you enter the house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. That is the directions that Jesus gives for those who would go in the mission field. This is what Jesus wants for them. They have their mission, now this is how you're going to go do it. The third part of this passage is what I will call the obedience part, which is one that we need to learn, all of us. The obedience part just simply says, which is verse 12, so they went out and preached that people should repent. They did what Jesus commanded them to do. And the last part of the passage, which is verse 13, is what I call the effectiveness of their mission the effectiveness of their mission. And they went out and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. That's the effectiveness of the mission. That's what they did. That's what they saw because they obeyed the sending of the Lord. They saw what the Lord commanded them to do. Now, I'm not going to be spending a lot of time talking about the different parts. I just want to deal with one part. The, The three parts are very easy for you to understand. The commissioning part is very easy. I don't need to go over it too much. The third part, you know, the the obedience part, I don't need to touch it too much. They did what Jesus asked them to do. They said, yes, sir, and they went out into all the cities and towns, and they prayed, and they healed, and they cast out demons, and they preached, and they did what Jesus asked them to do. And the last part I'm not going to go too much into, which is the effectiveness, because it's very, very clear. As they obeyed, God showed up. As they obeyed, God showed up, and they did the stuff that they'd never done before. They had authority over demonic activity. They had authority over evil. They had the ability to bring light into a city. They preached the gospel of God. Whatever they heard Jesus preach, they preached. Whatever they saw Jesus do, they did. And God showed up because they were obedient to the commission of the Lord. The part I want to deal with a little bit with you is that second part, the direction that Jesus gives his disciples, that direction. And I just want to make this easy statement that the trust of the mission-minded disciple of Jesus, the trust of the Mission-minded disciple of Jesus cannot be on things we possess or they'll end up possessing us. It cannot be on the money in our pocket. It cannot be on having uh, a car. It cannot be on having two tunics and having a change of clothes. It cannot be on having more sandals than what we're wearing. Sometimes we say no to the Lord because it would put us in an uncomfortable place. We become too much dependent on stuff to go do the kingdom. And so Jesus basically saying to his disciples... I don't want you to carry anything with you that could end up being a crutch and could end up being something that if you lose, you'll give up the ministry. You must trust in me and me alone and in the commission that I'm giving you, in the authority and the power that I'm giving you, because you are my disciples. I will be with you. And as you obey me, I will show up. You cannot trust in stuff. We trust in buildings. So when we lost our building a few years ago, we thought it was going to be the end of St. David's. And here is St. David's. And the day we need to move from here, we'll go someplace else. Because the ministry will not depend on the building. The ministry does not depend on microphones. The ministry does not depend on comfortable pews. The ministry does not depend on our automobiles. The ministry does not depend on television screens. The ministry to which God sends us, once we become dependent on stuff, that stuff will end up hindering the ministry. Let me give you an example. Many years, well, when I was called into the priesthood and I finished seminary and I was sent to be interviewed by my first church at St. Margaret's, that some of you remember perhaps. The moment I walked, wo- this is a church that was all marble, all marble. I remember walking in that church with Molly and, and they, uh, turning around and looking at the marble altar and I said to myself, are they going to trust me with this? And it had a beautiful marble, I mean solid marble pulpit. I would just climb these steps and, and I would preach over the people in this beautiful, beautiful uh, pulpit. Then I, I went to St. David's and St. David's was brick. But it was beautiful, large, very large church. And again, it had all this decorated wood and a pulpit that, that stood up, and, and and it was just beautiful pulpit. And and I, I felt comfortable preaching in one and then preaching in another. I mean it was it was great. And then I believe Cindy and I went on a mission trip to Ecuador, and we got divided into different parts, and you went to someplace else. And I went with Storm Harvey. We went to uh, another part or something like that. And then she got separated from me. And and on Sunday, the priest said to me, come on, Father Jose, you and I are going to do the rounds of the several churches that I am involved with. I said, okay, great, so he picked me up at the hotel where we were staying, and uh, we went in his riggedy car, you know, beat-up car that, you know, suspension was all bad and everything, but, but, um, and he took me to this town. It was a town that was really built on stilts. I mean, they were taking ground from the river. They have built their houses uh, on stills, and, and as, as we are approaching, you know, the, the fishermen are out there with their, their nets, and they're, they're deep in the water, and this and that, the women have their, their children here, and they're working, and all of this stuff, and as we get closer, somebody recognizes the priest, and they get on a bullhorn, the priests are here, the priests are here. And people start leaving their homes and they, they turn off their, their probably um, charcoal sto- uh, stoves and stuff like that. And all these people come to the one little house almost in the middle of the street there. And this little girl about 12 years old, she was the altar guild. And she brings out a little table, just a little table, and puts it in the middle of the street, and brings out a chalice, and brings out some bread, and, and the priest turns to me, and he says, okay, preach. <laughs> and I went, "Ah." Huh? Number one, he had not told me I was going to be the preacher, so that was a surprise, Number two, where was my fancy pulpits? This is the middle of the street, a dirt street. Okay, it's a dirt road. And he says to me, now preach. And I realized how comfortable I had become in my church, in my pulpit with my people, how comfortable I had become, and how Americanized I had become. I was in a third world country. And all I could do is say, God, tell me what you want me to say. And I kind of went through a Rolodex in my mind of things I had been reading, what was the Lord doing in my life. And, of course, I loved the Gospel of Matthew, so I opened it to Matthew, and wherever it landed, I started preaching there in the middle of the street in Ecuador. And I realized how many things can hinder the ministry if all of this stuff becomes just crutches. There were no vestments, there was no chasuble, there was no microphone, there was nothing. Sometimes you and I say to God, no, I won't go, because it doesn't fit our desire of what is correct. The Lord may be sending you to people who are not your people. He may be sending you to faces that are not people that you see every Sunday the Lord may be sending you to parts of the world or parts of your city or may place you somewhere where he says to you now preach the gospel share your testimony love the people Just love them. Just tell them how much I love them. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to have read the whole Bible. All you have to do is leave out the gospel among the people and love them and really, truly love them and tell them how God has brought you to this moment in your life. So a disciple of Jesus that is sent out is a person who recognizes that all we need to do what God has commanded us to do is God. We don't even need a Bible with us because the Bible needs to be written in our hearts already. We need to have passages that we know. There needs to be testimonies that we know. You don't need the written word. You don't need the, 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 the television screens. You don't need the cameras. You don't need pews. You don't need anything. There are believers all over the world that all they want is one page of the Bible. One page of the Bible. And they'll read it over and over again because that's all they have. So Jesus says to them, if your dependence is on a bag full of goodies, if your belt has several coins and you're going to eventually depend that if they throw you out from here, you're just going to rent another place, he says, you're putting your trust in the wrong thing. You're putting your trust in the wrong thing. Our only trust needs to be in that God is with us. God will show up when we, with our heart, pray to him. When we do his ministry, when we are obedient to his word, God will show up. And that's all the disciples needed. Not two pair of sandals, not two tunics, one staff perhaps to help them uh, walk, and, and that's pretty much all that that they needed. We need to learn to depend on God. We need to learn to say yes to God. We need to learn that when Jesus says to his disciples, I send you two by two, that we go two by two. And if it's three by three, it's three by three. If it's four by four, it's four by four. But what we don't do is not go at all. Realize that I only have ability to reach a a, a small number of people. I I can only reach those people I meet. When you guys leave from here, you're going to meet people in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your surroundings, in your environments. You're going to meet people I will never meet. But if we divide ourselves into multiple teams, I'll go to those I meet, and you go to those you meet, and the kingdom of God is spread much farther, and the word of God is spread much farther, than if you depend, we pay Father Jose to do this stuff. Jesus is sending his disciples, and he multiplied the team. You know how many teams we can have here? At least 15 teams or 20 teams, or maybe more. And if you truly believe you are a disciple of Jesus, and you truly believe that what he commands his disciples, is commanding you today, go. Go two by two, go three by three. Be open to the command that God and the commission that God has for you. Because the world of Jesus and our world is not that different. Evil is still present. Darkness is still present. People that reject the gospel is still rejecting the gospel. There is darkness in towns and in individuals in families. There is all kinds of things being done. It is to those that Jesus sends us all. And we're going to meet these people as we live our lives. And we need to, vote we need to be the voice of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. What will you say to the Lord, I can't go, Lord? Why not? Why will you say to the Lord who commands you to go, I can't go? Is it too hard? Will you be rejected? Definitely, he says, when you go into a town and they reject you, just dust your foot off as a sign to them. And keep going to the next town. Rejection was part of Jesus' life. Why do you think it won't be part of yours? If rejection was part of what Jesus went through in Nazareth, among his own family, among his own people, what do you think it's so different about your family and your own people and your own neighbors and your own co-workers? But among all of those, some will hear Some he called will hear and you'll see the fruit of healings and the fruit of people being free and the fruit of people coming into the kingdom. Friends, I asked you at the beginning if you were a disciple of Jesus and you said yes. And I asked you when Jesus speaks to his disciples, is he speaking to you, you said yes. And I'm saying to you, Jesus speaking to you today. And he's saying to you, go. He's saying to you, go. Let me tell you a couple of very quick stories just to to finish, just to show you. Um, The other day, I think before I went on vacation, about maybe four or five weeks ago, uh, at the end of the service, I was going to get my car. I always park my car over there by the bank. Um, And uh, I'm at the corner of um, uh, Glenox and Providentia. I'm about to cross the street south into the bank. From the other side comes a man uh, who has seems to have a broken hand. Seems to have a broken hand. I mean, he, it's it's kind of a, in a sling or something like that, if I remember right. And, and I, I just want to get to my car. And I said hello to the man, and he was gracious to say hello to me. And then I trusted God for the moment, and I said to him, what's wrong with your hand? He's just going by me, and I I stopped him. I said, what what happened to your arm? He says, oh, I I think I sprained it, or I broke it. I, I fell, and I said, can I pray for you? And he said, yes. And I just put my hand on his shoulder, and I started praying for his arm. Right there on the street, in the middle of Glennox and, and Providentia. Because I was doing what God had appointed for me at that moment, and one of the things I want to do is be obedient. I don't know this man. I may never see him ever again, but God knows that man. And I don't know if he commissioned me at that moment to pray for a broken hand, and I don't know if the broken hand got healed or not. I don't know, but I was being obedient to do what God called me to do. You will be positioned at times in situations that will challenge you, that will make you uncomfortable. But if you're going to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to step up to the challenge. Share the gospel, love people, Pray for the sick, pray for healing, pray against evil, cast out evil, declare the kingdom of God, dare to stand up strong and straight for the gospel of Jesus, and stop hiding it in your pockets. We carry it in our pocket, we know we are Christians, do others know we are Christians? Jesus sends us two by two to declare the presence of the kingdom. Will you, the disciples of Jesus, go and do as he has commissioned you to do? Two by twos, three by threes, five by fives. Just don't stay home. Just don't stay in the pew. Just don't wait to be uh, entertained next Sunday by me. I want you to be challenged, because in the challenge, you grow. You grow as a disciple of Jesus. It's in the doing of the ministry that you yourself will grow. Amen? So hear the commandment of the Lord.